Hello, my darlings, and welcome back to Radio Wasteland, your favorite show about the paranormal. I'm your host, Chauncey Hallworth, and this is my co-host, Sean. Hello. Tonight, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do Thunderdome. Thunderdome. Two men enter, one man leave. Uh, Sean and I are going <laughs> to fight it out on the radio so you can hear it. So, I mean, a little warning would have been nice. I would have brought, you know, some, some power tools, some armor. They'll be hanging from the ceiling. Okay, good. Good, good. This is a small booth. Like, I don't know if you've... I, I don't know. Maybe you factored that in. I but. figure even with the elastic uh, later hosen or whatever it is they were rocking in that movie, uh, I could probably at best get about a foot off the ground. So, <laughs> this room is just fine. Fair enough. So, how's your week been, Sean? Pretty good. Um, You know, it, it's weird. I think uh, I think doing this show is has been eroding, like, my natural skepticism a little. And, oh, yeah. you know, when when we started, I I would kind of joke to my friends and stuff that it was nice to do a show like this so that I wasn't the craziest person in the room mm-hmm. because I would be out crazied by our guests. But I feel like with every guest we have, a little bit of, of their crazy, like, flakes off and enters my system. And... So it doesn't seem so crazy after all. Exactly. Well, I was just having a conversation with a friend earlier, and they, you know, they mentioned something about Roswell, and, uh, (laughs) um, like, they were being tongue-in-cheek about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know all about that. And I was just telling them some stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, there was wreckage they never found? And I was like, uh... I was like, oh, dear God, what have I become? (laughs) (laughs) That's the end of your social life. Yeah, I just just had that realization the other day. I was like, oh, my God. Needless to say, this was at work, and you've now been fired from your day job. (laughs) Yes, so I'm I'm already uh, foraging and cooking raccoons um, for my sustenance. My uh, flavorful apocalypse is coming on pretty well. I've already made pesto out of my garden. And uh, mint rice. Mint rice, okay. Yeah, so you're set. I am set, yeah. (laughs) You've got all the pesto you need to to survive any number of Basically, now if I can just learn how to, you know, kill an animal in the wild, I can flavor it and we can eat it. We're good. You know, that's not really hugely different than the diet that I'm rocking at home already. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like... Right. A lot of peppers, a lot of spices, a lot of meat. Yeah, well, frankly, um, animals are fast. Yeah. So yeah. if you're worried about the Thunderdome concept, yeah, yeah, I, I would be much easier to kill than like a deer. I, well, yeah, yeah. So all I need is <laughs> a lot of spices, some peppers, and Sean's corpse. <laughs> <laughs> there's only one of me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's as other, far as I there's know. others like you. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So maybe start your whole thing a few weeks before the apocalypse actually starts so you can get a jump on it i i did take one of those tests online um you know for for you guys listening next week we have a zombie survivalist on and i'm so excited and that's one reason why why we're definitely talking about this is that but i took a test online and it said i'd survive like five minutes five minutes yeah i don't know how does it is it like exponential does it go on like a scale from a couple minutes to like you know weeks or years if you I, answer the right I, way. I don't know. I, don't I think know. that that means that as soon as my neighbors found out about it, they'd come over and kill me. Right. It would take them like five minutes to <laughs> you know, get out there. That guy's got pesto. Right. This cannot stand. And it normally takes two or three minutes for me to answer the door. So, you know. You know, in that situation, I don't know if they just ring the doorbell and wait. I like, think if they caught it right at the beginning, yeah, sure. Yeah, they might. Okay. Yeah. 
There's there's your horror movie. You know, that's pretty good. <laughs> this summer, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Um, there's a there's actually a great um, apocalyptic horror movie. Um, it's a nuclear war one called uh, Miracle Mile. Mm. Have you ever seen this? Uh, no. Uh, basically, this guy goes to meet this girl that he really likes, and uh, his alarm messes up, and he ends up at the diner at like 3 in the morning. And the payphone rings, and he answers it, and it's some guy thinking that he's calling his dad, telling him that all the missiles have been fired, and then we got two hours until we all die. And hmm. then he hears a bunch of gunshots as the guy gets killed. And then it takes it from there, basically, that he's the one okay, guy that's who knows not that, like the, that. Uh, the world's going to end. I'll, I'll have to see this. Yeah, it's really, really good. <laughs> really good. So uh, tonight we are revisiting a topic um, that... Yeah, you know, it's there's kind a, of been looming on the horizon for a lot of us. Well, it has, and and there are a lot of different takes yes. on this topic. The topic that we're going to discuss tonight is Nibiru. So looming on the horizon was was a joke. I was, oh, was it really it, might be looming well, on the horizon. Right, yes. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I had to call attention to that. I didn't see what you did there. <laughs> Thank you. Now yeah. you do. We yeah. may continue. <laughs> so there's a lot of different takes on this topic. You know, the the... The two, like, there's two, like, structural takes. Mm-hmm. Like, is Nibiru a planet? Sure. Or is it a star? Or is it one planet in a solar system? Right. You know, and uh, there are a lot of takes out there, and there are a lot of people who are going to, you know, uh, different views. Well, I mean, wasn't David Mead? Yes, um, David Mead was a Nibiru guy, right. one of many. I f- don't think he and Samuel Hoffman would probably see eye to eye on Oh, no, things. definitely not. I don't <laughs> think they would at all. Um, but that just goes to what you were saying. There's, yeah, yeah, that there are a lot of interpretations. interpretations. Right. Yeah. So uh, tonight's guest is Samuel Hoffman. You are listening to Radio Wasteland. Come on back for the interview. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland, and we're welcoming back uh, a guest that we've had on before, Samuel Hoffman, to talk about Nibiru. Samuel, are you there with us? I sure am. How are you today? Not bad. How have you been? Oh, all right. It's been a little stormy and, you know, nice and rainy up here in Montana. We've had a little bit of local flooding. More well, rain and snow than we're used to. It's it's definitely something we wish we had more of down here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the alternative can be uh, quite... Uh, a bad thing too, you know. I mean, look all over at what's going on all over Europe and, and Asia. And, oh yeah, and, and, uh, and uh, Southern California after those fires, you know, then yeah, they get Brazil, all that rain, et cetera. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Fires down yeah, um, So uh, you know what? Uh, for our new listeners, um, maybe we can remind them a little bit um, about who you are and uh, what you do. So, so how did you? And we'll skim through it. Last time, this was kind of our whole show, but. But, uh, you know, how did you get started um, with Nibiru and trying to figure out what was going on there? Well, when I was uh, 17 years old in, in uh, a private uh, college prep high school, um, I wrote a chemistry term paper. And I basically, as kind of a joke, took on Einstein's equations and things like this. And, and from my understanding of chemi- uh, subatomic chemistry and everything, I, I didn't agree with, uh, you know, the gravity well and all this sort of stuff. And it just, it always bugged me according to what I understood with shell structure and, and weight value and atomic weight value and everything. So I wrote this paper saying, because um, I had read uh, Velikovsky's 
book had come out in the 70s, and this was about 75, 76, 77, 78 that I was, you know, checking into all this stuff. And I just, I wrote this paper saying that I believe because of this variation at the orbit way out in, by, uh, uh, Neptune and all of it, there's these variations in orbits. They were talking about Planet X, and, and this was common knowledge back in, in the mid 70s. So I wrote this paper stating that I believe there had to be another attached solar system because the atomic weight value just didn't match according to my estimations of the planet weight value and the fact that uh, Jupiter and, and Saturn are these massive uh, larger planets and they're way, way out, and that didn't agree with subatomic chemistry in my mind. So I wrote the paper saying that we had to have two suns and two sets of, of multiple groups of planets and... And I laid out my paper and turned it in, and it basically ended up getting the notice of the government um, a short period of time later, and where I was offered a job. And then I I went there, and it was for the far-seeing project, and folks can look that up. That's uh, where you uh, remote view and things like this, and they were recruiting people with high uh, chemistry and, and physics skills and high IQs, et cetera. That's the short of that. And then many years later, in 2009-ish, early 10, I saw a planetary pass. And I knew that they had to be here because we had been waiting for them. And the discussion was back in the 70s that it was going to be 50 years till it got here, et cetera. And that, of course, was you know the 60s and 50s talking with the, the extension of the way science gets around. And Anyway, long story short, I end up, once I saw a first planetary pass up here in Montana, at 5,000 feet, I started being on Facebook and telling everybody because my non-disclosure agreement ended in 2010. And so I started speaking right about that, telling everybody that, you know, the planetary system was in, in fact here because I had seen it by eye. Otherwise, I would have never, you know, believed half of the stuff that's on the Internet currently. And there's so much misinformation you wouldn't believe. Yeah, so to uh, help our listeners get a concept of what we're talking about, basically... Um and this this part right here is mainstream science, that most stars in our galaxy are actually binary stars. So they're two stars that orbit one another. And so, right, 83.3% on average, yes. Right, and so what you're saying is that our star, Sol, is a binary star, and there is another star that orbits with our star with its own solar system. Correct, and every 3,654 years they join probably from a from a magnetic uh, static upload like a capacitor that loads and unloads et cetera et cetera and they attract to each other and then separate everything works in a in a in a in an opening and closing all the way down to uh, string theory and everything everything has a, a, a ebb and flow and ebb and flow it's, it's sort of like the, the solar system breathes everything breathes everything is connected to each other electrically now uh, Einstein and, and Newton believe that we are a gravitational solar system, and we're not. We are we're an electrical solar system, and then gravitational properties fall and play therein. But there's an overall larger thing at work here, a larger thing at play than common science understands still to this day. And so, um, I guess the questions that arise from this are: uh, if it's a solar system, how many planets are we talking? And how close to our solar system is it getting, um, you know? They have been, well, let's start out with there's there's eight major known planets, and then there's a number of smaller orbiting bodies 
asteroids and moons and everything. And and if you were to take into account the actual overall count, there's many, many other bodies that are not even being listed here because they're also part of a larger solar system because this is an immense, immense uh, chemistry equation. And then we have to take into account Hercubus, which is the electron cluster gas giant behind the two suns, which is so massive it fills up half the solar system. Now, literally, this July, up, up July 15th or so, all the planets are on, in our normal planets in our solar system are going to be on one side of, of the solar system. And then the, literally the other half of the solar system is empty according to what they're showing on these model diagrams. But in all actuality, it's all the other planets absorbing the occupied area in, in a suppressed orbit. And that's why Venus is so bright for the last 10 years is because we can see it because it's closer than it actually used to be. And everybody just automatically assumes that they're where they always are. And no, they're not. Everything is changing. The, the, the rules have changed. Atomic decay has changed. Uh, electrical particles, motion has changed. Anyway, um, the planets have been here literally since the onset of 2010 where the two solar systems started joining. Now, it's our smaller solar system that I believe entered the larger solar system. But, I mean, it's, it's probably a simultaneous thing. And they're commingling, and they came up from underneath Earth, and then have slowly. And we were getting pictures early on in, in, in most of our sightings at Montana Skywatchers on Facebook from the Antarctica, from uh, Newmeyer Station, and everything else for, for years. And nobody even questioned why all of a sudden it was lit on in Antarctica when it wasn't supposed to be. It was supposed to be completely, absolutely dark, and for like five years it was daylight. It shouldn't have been. And this is when we got most of our sightings. And Now, most people didn't believe the sightings because everyone was looking for these tiny little dots. And in actuality, they were coming on close passes where we'd have entire, you know, side-scene crescent illuminations where you're like holding a basketball in front of your hand all the way to, to sky pillars. And most people don't see them currently because they're looking for small little tiny dots of a, this color or that color. And when they get in proximity to us and fill, fill the sky, they're all, of course, mostly blue because we see everything through the blue water spectrum through our atmosphere. But when the planets get close, they, they turn a, a much varied color from, the, from the, what they look like out in space. Now, most of the time, they are between us and the sun, and we can't see them because we're seeing the dark sides of these planets. But they have been here roughly since 2011, 2012, have passed in four different cycles where we've had close numerous passes year after year. And uh, currently we have Nepesity and Attu and Attu's white moon uh, extremely close to Earth right now. And a lot of people are seeing these sightings and they're getting the green skies and the massive green storms and then these purple lightning storms and then there's this big white thing and there's asteroids passing close by that are horrendously huge and they're daily. And NASA, of course, is just telling everybody it's this, that, or the other thing, and it's going by once. And that's not what's going on. There, there's a lot of real close proximity planets that are right here, and they're making daily planets. Now, they don't crash into each other. The, the, because we live in an electrical universe, these are like protons, and they electrically push each other away. It's only the negative smaller bodies at a different hardcore angle that can actually strike into Earth, such as an asteroid or or, or a comet, depending on you know the charge value. But they are tied to their star somehow. Objects will push each other away from each other like two separate magnets. But they are tied to their star somehow. Right, and they're and they're tied in their in their in their spiral rotation, sort of like because we don't orbit; we follow uh, the star 
like it's the magnet and we're a bunch of pieces of like uh, steel cans or whatever you want to call it that follow in a, a tail behind it and we spiral through space sideways we don't you know, we don't look at it on the plane where, like they lay it out on a dinner plate and all the planets are on the same ecliptic plane. No, that's not how it works. They all rotate and spiral playing catch-up. Like when you pull a sock out of the dryer, you get static cling and you get other socks that come along with it. And that's how the, the main star pulls all of us because we're electrically connected to this major compound in space. We're not just rocks floating willy-nilly in space. We're an actual chemistry equation that is set in a, in a level of stability, um, it's been existing for 4.8 uh, some odd billion years that we know of the Earth's formation alone. And beyond that, I'm sure there's some semblance of a prior event that formed that compound, which this binary solar system is. All right. Well, uh, we're coming up on our first commercial break. I think we did a pretty good job of doing our rundown there. <laughs> Thank you, Samuel. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what's new since we talked last time. And uh, maybe you can uh, enlighten us to the new situation with Nibiru and its solar system here on Radio Wasteland with Samuel Hoffman. <laughs> All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest Samuel Hoffman. We're talking about Nibiru, not the planet, not the star, but the solar system that runs in conjunction with our own, some sort of uh, chemistry entanglement. So, you know, Samuel, what is different now than when we talked last? What do we know now that we didn't know last time? Well, we're headed back closer toward Nibiru, and I, I truly believe that any day now, uh, mid-June-ish, July, we, we should be literally right next to her because we've been, we've been following in, in the opposite direction underneath the rest of them, and Yuri has passed by, and uh, Atu has come in uh, at, at the turn of the year. Now, last time we did a show was uh, literally a year ago to the, almost this week. Huh. Um, mm-hmm. And... Atu and Atu's moon have come in so close that Atu's moon has actually come within a really great close distance, you know, uh, maybe one or two or three LUs within ours. And it's so big, but it, we call it a moon because we've seen it close up and it's got many numerous craters and it's therefore it's most likely a dead body um, or a negative charged uh, uh, neutron. And... Um, we, it has seriously affected our tides, and we, we've seen these drawn, drawn out tides where all of a sudden the fishermen are staring at, at a, a, a mile away where they've never ever seen it before in their lives. And that started in, in January and February and March. And then of, as of April, it started on the other side of the planet, moreover, in close passes because they run in cycles. And um, they were having this excruciating extreme weather and lightning and uh, massive flooding. And they, they received that recently in the desert region in in Jerusalem and everything. They had mass uh, flash flooding and everything else. And they've never, ever seen this, of course, and, and amounts of rain that we no one has ever recorded before in this because it has to do with atmospheric close pass by dragging up our atmosphere and collecting it up and pulling it up. And then when it pulls away from us, it drops everything that it's acquired through a thread attachment because they, they pull at each other. And there is a certain amount of ion transfer between these large bodies, and that's where we see the space clouds and all this other stuff. And um, then even suspicious observer discusses space clouds and space water and all of this. And this is an interaction electrically between the planets, and they, 
They discharge off each other. We've seen lots of that within the last even week on the East Coast flooding and everything that everybody's been suffering over there. And they've had these, what the science is now calling the shelf cloud, which is an invention since the planets have gotten here. And those are the base clouds of these planets where they buffer in. Their atmosphere pushes against our atmosphere, and they have this thread attachment between them, and they cause these extreme storms. And now in Texas, all the way up through the East Coast, they've been, and New York City went dark the other day as this planet crossed over the top of everybody. And, of course, you know, no one understands it because it's so massive. They think it's just a storm. But we've got side pictures. And, and that's what Montana Skywatcher does is we, uh, number two and number one, we, we get comparative pictures from around the world. And when you see one event in Hong Kong and you see it in England at the same time, well, then it's not a cloud. It's an actual body passing through. And we have, over the last eight years, learned what the, the base clouds all look like. And they have individual type behaviors for each planet and they have different color variations and we've matched all these sightings and collected up hundreds of thousands of actual sightings and the problem is is that no one's really getting this in the mainstream media because it's all being covered up facebook and everybody is all trying this you know uh what they call junk news or fake news program now to shut people like myself and and, and the other Nibiru group uh sky watchers and and researchers whatever you want to call them citizen scientists um, have all been stifled because a lot of people are still laughing at us, and yet we've got credible, absolute, time-proven science showing all of these planets up close and on the way in and then over the top of us and then back out over the last eight years. So, But, but what's recently happening is Nepesity is coming in. She's a rain bomb, just like last year they got Canada. And there's also been some new sightings of the Texas Cube, and if you folks out there don't know what the Texas Cube is, go, go to YouTube, look up Texas Cube. And then the Empire Orb, which is, in, which is another uh, space station that came in through the Norway Spiral back in 2009, there are bodies and beings and other space creatures that are involved with this solar system. We are not alone, totally not alone. There's thousands and thousands of races nearby. And people have to really get on board with this because this is time-proven information, and we're not guessing, and we're not making this up, and and you know, and we're not t- collecting a bunch of subscription fees to to to, to hype stuff out. But um, in the last three weeks, there has been so many sightings of so many ships they're not hiding anymore. And if you look up in the sky and you see a very large square cloud, it's the Texas Cube. And we have had hundreds of sightings within the last week, week and a half. It's been unbelievable. What is the purpose of covering up? Um, well, there's a lot of people. I'm, I'm sure you've run into a different variations of people through through your radio work where certain people can handle it, certain people get mad at you, certain people get crazy and very scared, certain, certain religious people go and crawl into their Bible even worse and then start accusations and the demons and this and that and the other thing. I mean, there's a lot of nice Christian religious folks out there, but then there's your... Your people that get scared and very superstitious. And then there's the people that would quit their jobs and they would go up and head up the mountains and we'd have chaos. And so maybe that's why they don't do it. So do you think our, our government knows and is, is oh, aware? I'm totally sure they do. They, they, they entered a deal with, uh, with the alien races and all the way back in, in, uh, Ike's administration back in 47. And and I know I was told all sorts of information when I was with the government. I was not allowed to discuss it back until after my 30-year non-disclosure agreement. And we entered into into uh, a terrible, terrible bargain with 
with the alien races for technology and and they're they're fully in you know in, in cahoots to each other now the treaty was broken for some period of time but then right prior to the planets coming back again they uh, i'm sure negotiated for better treaty uh, output and this is where a lot of the commodities are now being picked up prior to the changes of the coming tectonic plates and as you know that hawaii is bubbling all over and our weather's not like it's supposed to be anymore and and we haven't seen true north in about five years and and the sun's coming up in a funny place and all the stars have changed and and then all these undeniable facts and if you look straight up in the sky and you see this dark dark purple thing over the top of you where the rest of the sky is light blue you can't argue with it but we've proven this empirically that these planets are here and they're doing close passes to earth and we're coming up on our the culmination of our fourth or fifth cycle now and and there's some pretty crazy stuff happening and we don't even know how long they're going to be here for i mean they could be doing this to our earth over and over for the next 20 100 years i don't know we don't know how long they're together and the tectonic plates are moving and yellowstone is rumbling and hawaii is going off and there's brand new Volcanoes every day, everywhere. Popocatepetl, whatever how you pronounce that, is booming again. She's burping steam again. And the close, the close planetary passes of Vatu's moon have been affecting our tides and our rivers. Waters are disappearing. The Mississippi was dry for a good portion of the middle of last year, and nobody knew why, why the middle of the Mississippi was empty. It's because the water effects and everything are being pulled. And there's cracks in the ground forming everywhere and sinkholes, and it's the tug of these planets on each other you get cracks and all of a sudden your water disappears down those cracks and it, it sinks into stuff and everything's breaking up and and we had the yakima crack and the mexico crack and now there's cracks in south carolina north carolina happening all sorts of stuff happening so um you know we only got about three minutes till the commercial break but uh, let's let's start this topic at least and and that is you know is there there's there's life on some of these planets correct correct and, and we we are the basically we're the backwater factory that produces uh commodities for this larger older uh civilizations plural and uh they basically don't want us to know that we are doing what we're doing and we're we're short-lived versions of them so we're like the sweatshop of the solar system yeah, you've seen Star Wars. You know about the Clone Wars. Well, yeah. we're basically people that they don't deal well with coming down on our on our gravitational. There's that word I hate to use on our planet, and they don't deal well doing the work. So they have bio tools, which is what we are. We're self-replicating bio tools. But they look like and us. Every time they come back and pick up the, the supplies and the commodities that are laid out for them ahead of time by this faction or that faction, trying to gain favor. Then they pick up what they want, and then we get wiped out up to a point, the culling of the herd, which is part of the process because Earth has to break up to reform the new sets of, of minerals and, and gold and oil and all of this and by, by you know, tectonic breakup and transfer of energy to recreate all of the chemistry. And then in 4,000 years, they come back and pick it all up again. All right, and well, you're listening to... After time, after time, after time. All right, we're coming up on our commercial break. You're listening to Samuel Hoffman here on Radio Wasteland. Come on back. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest Samuel Hoffman. We're talking about Nibiru. Um, 
so we were talking before that they're actually life on those planets, and right. and you're basically saying that they look just like us. So, well, and, um, I haven't actually met them, but I have met three of the other races that are out running around. And from what I'm told, that we very much, you know, we're the combination of, of like 12 different races mixed into the, the, the local monkey. And then over time, has, have, we've been generated up to what we are. Now, I don't believe that we're the first civilization to achieve this level. I think there's been numerous ones, including prior to Atlantis. And, and you know, there's a lot of room between 65 million years ago when the dinosaurs supposedly vanished off this planet and that's a lot of time for a lot of cycles. And if you take out your calculator and you, you know, divide 4,000 by 65 million, there's a lot of cycles in, in between there where the planets, of course, will affect each other and, you know, pole shift and ice age and this and that and the other thing. Right. And Who's all, to say we're their first attempt? To, yeah. Who's to say we're their first attempt? Right. Yeah, we're not. You know, I'm sure that we're, that I'm sure that we were, uh, you know, Numerous, and then of course you go back in the discussion of the giants in the Bible, and that was thirty-five thousand years ago, and that boils down to where they've even discovered certain radioactive regions that have seemed to have been nuked way off in the distant past, and that actually meets about that same timeline. And then you go back to the Sumerians four thousand years ago at the last cycle, and how their their uh, climate changed, and suddenly they were no longer able to support their life the way they did. And if you go back two cycles, and then to the Chinese, they talk about the dragon, and and that's those asteroids that are coming across now that that passing daily, and we call it the object cluster group. And now, uh, uh, you know, if you want some of that information, you can go to YouTube and look up Sam Hoffman, H O F M A N, one F instead of two, on on YouTube, and I've got a whole bunch of about a year and a half worth of background information that you might be able to glean some stuff off of, or come to Montana Skywatcher Facebook site too. Uh, um, and then we can fill you in on more of that. But um, and I'm kind of losing my train of thought here. But yeah, there's a there's a society up there, and their tech level is so much more advanced than ours. That there's no way that, that we can argue with the fact of ownership. I mean, they've owned us. They they will own us. And and you know, we're these little mice down here going squeak squeak. Be nice to me. Can I have some cheese, please? But what do we do about it? Well, we are supposed to grow out of it, and there is a, a notion, a, a mandate to the demigods, as we will refer to them as, that we are supposed to up and, and evolve out because we are sentient beings, and that wasn't planned as far as I'm, I've been led to understand. So some of us who will gain the notice of the demigods will be allowed to ascend out, and we have to work on that by getting rid of the anger and the hatred and work more on love and stuff like that because... When you're in the presence of an alien, it's very uncomfortable for them to be around somebody. It's like drunk cousin Earl drops by at midnight at your house and wants to party. They don't want to tolerate us, period. And we have to be tolerable before they're going to invite us into their into their living area. And for the, you know, because we're just fine right where we're at, you know, unless we earn it. But they have there is a mandate for for, for some of us to be able to evolve out. So the and gods, or to do. the gods, or the aliens that are most commonly associated with Nibiru are the Anunnaki, and right. their and that, story of is a human term, and that could be any new number of factions. So, yeah. so does that story fit this well, narrative? Fits. That's that's the the reason that uh, you know we we started searching all this stuff out because there were so many conclusive clues that led you to 
the the names of the planets all matched, and then we watched them come in one after another, and everything everything fit. And, and this was you know time proven for a while there. For the first two years, we we called it the purple planet or the white striped planet or or the dark blue, which we assumed was Nibiru because Nibiru is not a red planet. The red major red planet is the red. Uh, gas giant Hercubus, which is is the central electron cluster that holds the two stars. It's a massive, massive body. It's a gas giant, and it holds both the stars together in the binary, which is part, which is what makes us a compound. We're we're just this multiple spinning thing, just like an atom in in most atom models. But um, the civilization there has been in existence for a very long time. They use a good deal of gold and and some of our other commodities in their technology, and their technology is vast. And I've got to see a little bit of it, and I still don't completely comprehend a lot of it, but I understand some of the theories behind it. Okay, I'm concerned. I just have to ask, where, again, are we in the timeline before we wind up getting cold, so to speak? Um, Do we I know don't that? know if they're going to tell people. If you know, right. uh, I, I don't foresee a government group saying, oh, "You who, by the way." Well, if the know, last time was four thousand years ago, and it happens every four thousand years. That's just well, you know, concerning. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. if you look back, to, that's the end of the Mycenaean period, beginning of the Bronze Age. Um, it, it literally is going to be where the people themselves start seeing these bodies in the sky so heavily, and. And we've been doing that for many years, and, and we've been trying to pass it on. And uh, there's another good one. I have a video that's called Understanding the Skies by Samuel Hoffman, Edition 1, and that is on YouTube also. And that will teach you how to see the base clouds of these planets. And, and they're so big, you're not looking for the little stuff. And it's these sky fillers when they do a close pass. And 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 uh, on my site, on the YouTube site, there's other videos that will teach you how to to, to see the planets, but you, all you got to do is basically look up and look for the dark bodies and the shadowing and the cutoffs of the sun. We're usually seeing the dark sides back of them, and you see all these weird cutoffs on the sun, and there's a piece missing, and there's this reddish flare and weird-looking stuff, and that's a planet cutting off the light. And we've had a lot of cloudy, gray days and real weird weather stuff where everything looks really milky and funny, and that's because there's a planet cutting off the overall, overall light. Is there going to come a point where, for every person on the planet, it is just undeniable what we're looking at? That depends on if we get a full pass where where they actually leave and we can see the facial illumination as as they go by. And we've seen a lot of that, but each one of these planets also has an atmosphere as well. And a lot of the time, they're wrapped up in a lot of clouds. And only because we've had so many reports over the years did we learn what these cloud bases look like. And that, of course, is also taught on, on, on my YouTube thing on, I think it's uh, July 15th of last year. Yeah, I've watched quite a few um, of the videos. They're definitely worth checking out. Yeah, and it, it's not something you can teach overnight, but you have to think sky filler because they're there, they're huge, they're dark, and you look and they're right over here at the horizon, it's light blue, but you look straight up and it's so dark, dark and weird and puppy and everything. And half the times, if you sit out there long enough, you can see land masses. They come by that close. We've got pictures of land masses. We've got pictures of grid failures where they were attempting to hide it using some sort of invisible, God only knows what, in the first few years. And but we've over the, there's so much happened over the years. It's absolutely almost impossible to to tell everybody everything that's been going on because we've got eight years of sighting, and this has been every day. 
and everybody, not everybody, a darn good huge portion of my 10,000 members on my two sites alone, I, I do other sites as well, but a good portion of these people absolutely see these planets, and they've all been taught how to continue to see them every day. Well, that's a good uh, that's a good point for us here. We're coming up on the end of the uh, interview here, um, but I want to give you a chance to tell our audience where they can find out more about you and join your groups. Okay, well, it's Facebook, uh, Montana Skywatcher, uh, one and two. Two is the open site, and when people turn out to be great reporters, I'll usually hook them up with, with one. Um, and or my YouTube page, Samuel Hoffman or Sam Hoffman, H-O-F-M-A-N, and you, there's plenty of my videos out there where you can grab onto something and connect to me. And once you, uh, you know, I just about let everybody in on the on the Facebook site. And we have limitations where we, we we limit to current information and pictures from your area, and we try not to do unproven materials. Uh, we try to stick to scientific fact with multiple reporting sites before we call. I mean, we get like four or five sightings before we call that this is what's happening. Oh, yes, this new planet is here and it's doing this. And we get multiple sightings from around the world, from Hong Kong, uh, Malaysia, Australia, South Africa, America, of course, Great Britain, France, Canada. Uh, I've got friends in Sweden, Germany. So we, we get sightings and reports uh, every day, and it's, it's the best place. And we, we weeded through the bowl. We, we're, not, we're not falling into the media gossip because we don't need it because we've done enough sightings that we know what's going on. And there isn't anybody out there, and I'd love to find someone who knows more about this than I do because I'd like to learn more. But uh, we've not found anyone that has better information than Montana Skywatcher. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on the show again. Um, I really enjoy having you on. We'll have to do it again. Wonderful. I, thank you for, for listening. I, I really appreciate it. And, I, and, you know, I'm doing this to get the word out because this is, this is proven. This is happening. All right, you've been listening to Samuel Hoffman here on Radio Wasteland. Thanks for checking us out. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland. You've been listening to our host. No, you've been listening to our guest, Samuel Hoffman. Yeah, and to our hosts sporadically when we ask questions. Yeah, yeah. So that the way that's the way the show works. So at the beginning of the show, you were saying that. You feel that you have been um, slowly opening your mind to these uh, possibilities. Is this now one of them? I mean, I think I portrayed it as more like my mind has been poisoned. Like I'm slowly being infected by these possibilities. I see. But, yeah, maybe. <coughs> I mean, I'm not sure I buy all of it. But, you know, if you came to Samuel Hoffman himself like 40 years ago and said all this stuff to him, you know, would he have bought it? He did all these observations first. Yeah, that's true. So, he, look, he does seem to have a huge following, and he seems to be an intelligent guy. It does make me want to find out more. At, at this point, I'm like, hmm, I don't know about all of that, but... Yeah, well, I mean, I realize... Like, I wouldn't say I'd believe it yet, but I, I would need to look into it a little more. Well, let's roll it back a little, because both <laughs> of us are, you know, started this show as skeptics and, and sure. wanting to carry on that skeptic attitude so that you know we maybe got some of the truth mm -hmm. so let's roll it back to planet x we'll roll it all the way back right what do you think the likelihoods of planet x is that there is some other planet at least not necessarily a solar system somewhere right. out there oh i think the likelihood is very good 
Okay, now let's take it a step further. Okay. What do you think of the likelihood of Nibiru, which would be not only a planet X, but a a planet that it's in a very large, about 3,600-year elliptical orbit that basically goes way out and comes back in? Just the planet. Also possible. There's not a whole lot of evidence for that, but it's possible. Yeah. So it, at least as far as I know. Have you have you read or listened to much uh, about Zachariah Sitchin? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm familiar with the basics of the Nibiru idea from the last couple of times we've we've talked about this. Right. So I'm aware of you know the um, his interpretations of basically ancient Mesopotamian text. Right. And so the next step to getting to Samuel Hoffman would be. Um, do you believe that it's possible that Nibiru is not a planet itself, but part of a solar system? You know, so this next step here is that a lot of people believe that there's a brown dwarf Mm -hmm. star with its own couple of few planets and that called Nemesis. Right. And that that is actually... Well, see, here's where it becomes tough, because we are really good at seeing stars. Yeah. You know, (laughs) we see stars all the time that, you know, died billions and billions of years before Earth was even dust, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) Uh, And those are stars that are way out in space and time, way, way beyond, you know, where reasonably we should ever have any business seeing given, you know, that we're just kind of a speck in the universe, and all right. we've done is just make these gigantic telescopes. Well, just not but, too long ago, it was in the news that um, that we sharpened up our abilities to see, and that a lot of the stars that we thought were out there are actually distant galaxies, and that there are even more galaxies than we thought there were. Yeah, that's true. I just, I just find it hard to believe that we could miss um, another solar system that occasionally entered our solar system. Right. You know, I, I think we probably have a pretty good grasp on, you know, where all the stars are at, at least in, like, our local group, at least in this part of the galaxy. I, I think we're probably pretty knowledgeable about that. And, you know, as far as exoplanets are concerned, well, that's a lot harder. You know, you only see exoplanets in a, you know, under a confluence of pretty lucky you know, situations. Right. Okay. But of course, this is all, you know, me believing the NASA party land. Right. Of course. So that's the next step out, that it's a whole nother solar system around another star. Right. And I, that might be kind of brushing up against my wall. There. And you're, you're getting skeptical at that point. Yeah. And so the next when step out. When you throw out, in the actual aliens, then. That, no, 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 that's not oh, even the that's next That's not step. even the next. Okay. The okay. next step out would be that. Um, our solar systems are not held together by gravity. Mm-hmm. They're held together by an electromagnetic field, basically. Sure. What do you think of that one? Well, my skepticism wall was already one step before that. So, so that's a no for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that is a tough one to wrap your brain around because, like... Well, we've just got some pretty good evidence for, you know, a lot of, frankly, a lot of Einstein's theories and... You know, this stuff has been tested for almost a century yeah. at this point. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, to our listening audience, you know, don't think that we're coming down on 
on Samuel Hoffman. No, we really no, enjoy him not. as a guest. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're just trying to wrap I, our I brain around I already said this. I think he probably knows some stuff that I probably don't know that I need to learn. <laughs> yeah, <Right>. and, <laughs> and a lot of what he was saying is, like, that we just kind of refuse to see. And, mm-hmm. and I think I've talked on this show before about how I'm kind of there when it comes to dinosaurs in space. That um, those are such a part of my upbringing and my identity of things that I have just loved since before I can remember that I have a hard time when people mess with space or dinosaurs. Dinosaurs and space. Okay. Yeah. Definitely hear dinosaurs in space. I was like, okay, you got to explain this, Chauncey. Oh, no, that'd be all the better. That'd be all the better. But no, no, when people like, uh, you know, certain Christians will say uh, dinosaurs don't exist. I'm all that. We're done. Yeah. Can't do that. Can't do that. They did. You know, and uh, I feel that way about space. You know, it's kind of sacred to me. And, um, you know, I I, I definitely have a hard time. You know, I'm actually very familiar with, like, relativity and that kind of thing. I. Um, would you just, say you're relatively familiar <laughs> with it? Yes, that's exactly what I would say, and I hate myself for it. Uh, but oh yeah, Jared <laughs> just put up a sign for flat Earth, and flat Earth is a no go for me because of how I feel about space. Right, kind of yeah. same here. But I, I'm curious though, where where are you at in terms of you know where's your cutoff in terms of accepting the Nibiru stuff? Um. I accept the possibility of a Planet X. I accept the possibility of um, of another um, planet like Nibiru. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the ideas that Zachariah Sitchin was going with, you know, I think they're, they're conceivable. Okay. Um, as far as, you know, everything beyond that becomes difficult for me because, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm team gravity. Yeah. You know, and as soon as, you know, those planets get close, man, we are looking at some serious, serious problems. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, yeah. So, you guys out there, what do you think? I don't know. You're listening to Radio Wasteland. Come on back for the news. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland. Sean, you got something juicy for us to discuss? Yeah, some I celebrity do, gossip? Oh, you want celebrity gossip? Okay. No, not really. I well, think. actually, I... All right, well, I'll go with my actual <laughs> news first. <laughs> um, but so this was fortuitous that this has just been out in the news in a big way in the last week or so, because it actually concerns the discovery of an object that um, throws... Uh, a little more credibility on the idea of there being a planet X. Oh, really? No, not exactly. You know, it's not exactly what Samuel Hoffman was talking about, but as we were explaining at the beginning of the show, there's lots of different ideas. And so, okay, let me just explain what they're talking about. So, you know, way beyond the reaches of Neptune, right, which is, since Pluto is no longer a planet, the last, you know, formally accepted planet that we have in the solar system. Right. uh, They've detected a rocky object that has an orbit that shouldn't be possible, they're saying, unless it's being affected by uh, a much more massive body about ten times the size of Earth out there somewhere. So, you you know how basically all of our, our planets, they're all orbiting on basically the same plane. Right. Yeah, except for one is 
cattywampus a little bit, I think, Uranus. Yeah. Yeah, but even that's like... Yeah, yeah, I, I think off. it is it's a like, little well, messed up. Yeah, so this one is just like almost perpendicular to that plane. Oh. But it's still in an orbit mm-hmm. around the sun, which is making people think, okay, this rocky body, it's basically a huge asteroid, is orbiting something we can't see. So but, this isn't the first bit of evidence. What'd you say, four times bigger than the Earth? Ten times. Ten times bigger than the Earth is a planet. Yes. Yeah, not a star. We're right. talking like a... Like a smallish gas giant. Right. Okay. Yeah, so this is not the first time something like this has been discovered in kind of the outer limits of the solar system that has implied the existence of a massive body out there. Um, now, when you when you read the articles about it, they're quick to say this is not proof, but this is um, suggestive. This is a little more evidence for for the hypothesis that we have that there's something out there. So currently they're saying, you know, 10 times the size of Earth, probably in a rotation of 10,000 or 20,000 years around the sun. Holy smokes. Which is long. <laughs> so That's a lot of time. <laughs> is there any um, public opposition to this? Um, Not that I know, but... um. There's always the same scientific opposition that there's always been. And this is, you know, this is not really hotly contested in the scientific world. Not in the sense that, like, the, like climate change is. Right. Not in the sense where you, where it gets, like, where you get into, like, fist fights. Right, right. <laughs> This is more... Neil deGrasse Tyson isn't taking him down. And <laughs> no, no, this wearing is... Wearing some sort of, like, Borat bathing suit in a wrestling pin. With a Mitro Kaku. That got they, weird. Yeah, well, I mean, can you imagine? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could stop imagining. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, this is more just, you know, some researchers think it's possible that there's a planet out there. And many say, you know, we want a little more evidence. And that's kind of where we're at. This is more of one of those amicable scientific disagreements that only really affects the people who are actually in that subfield to where they care about that yeah well the beauty of science is even if we become sure that it's out there mm-hmm. um it won't be a yes until we've tracked its orbit and and basically until we've seen, seen it, it. yeah right. <laughs> and uh you know i appreciate that yeah yeah me too so again we're not talking about nibiru here we're not talking about something that ever comes by earth well we might but be. we could be you know we might be exactly as we were saying earlier you know we don't need we didn't even think there was something out there yet, so it could be we don't understand its orbit. There's so, a lot we don't know. They say it might be a 20,000-year orbit? Yeah. About 10,000 years ago was our last ice age? Yeah. Maybe it's 10,000 years out, and maybe on its way back in, we got some serious problems coming our way. Maybe. I wonder what we'll be able to accomplish in the next 10,000 years. Oh, we'll be gone by then. Totally. Yeah, no way. Yeah. We got a couple months left. <laughs> until the end of the world yeah okay well uh, according to david Mead, yeah yeah well if that's the case you know i shouldn't have told everybody about all my flavorful herbs at my house yeah you know, they're gonna come they'll be coming me. for your pesto yeah. man <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right you've been listening to that note. radio wasteland thanks for checking us out
Thank you. 